guys. You're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly gimme radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. Buzz Oven was one of these bands that, in some ways, I feel like they get overlooked in this day and age. Um, and though I hate the term sludge, they are yeah. probably one of the architects of that sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, two, two, two thoughts on that statement. I think I used to have a thing back in the day when I first got into uh, bands like Buzz Up and Neurosis and I Hate God. Uh, the three, the, the holy trinity, man, the three bands for me, which are like life-altering, was I Hate God, Neurosis, and Buzz Up. And, you, you know, like you just said, you feel like they're kind of overlooked because when you take those three bands in particular, and, you know, there is ties to all those bands. They're all, they're all friends. They've all toured together in some ways and stuff. But you look at Neurosis, they're a legendary band, right? Still active, yep. touring, putting out records. I Hate God, same thing. Legendary, still on the road. Re- released a new record not that long ago. Another one supposedly coming out. Very well respected those two bands, and then you got Buzzer. And my answer to well, it's not really a question, but your statement, uh, my response to your statement of them being overlooked is one word drugs. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Definitely. There's, yeah, like... that's really the only end game there, man. Is like when you do the research and if you know the band, you know, you know some of the history of the fan, and uh, you know, that that is a great, you know, you can point to what hard drugs can what road it'll take you down i mean to me buzz oven should be with those bands when you talk about neurosis and i hate god buzz oven should be in that conversation like a no-brainer but they're not yeah and and there was a period of time where it looked like i think it was back maybe 2010 where it looked like they were going to have this uh sort of second you know breath in their career and uh that just didn't right. didn't really materialize i guess no, uh, you know, and I, w- I don't know, you know, facts on that, but I would assume that some of the same, you know, same troubles that haunted them the, f- the first go around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, that stuff's hard to shake, man. Addiction's a hard thing to shake, and there's a lot of baggage can come with that stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, it's unfortunate, man. I love Buzz Oven, and they were a life-altering band for me. You know, I got into them from the, for to a frown. Um, you know, I was shifting my taste from like the hardcore stuff, standard hardcore punk stuff, to more like darker, weirder stuff. And uh, there used to be a record shop up in Providence called Fast Forward Records. Do you remember that at all? No, I don't remember that that store actually. I, I didn't really go to Providence a whole lot when I was living in Boston. Just a, maybe a handful of times, just to do shows and stuff like that. Yeah, this was definitely like early early nineties, yeah. ninety two, and uh, anyway, uh, Ben Barnett, who uh, owned Armageddon Shop, you know, pretty famous shop that's been around in Providence and now is a Boston one. He used to work at Fast Forward, um, so I've known him forever, and uh, he turned me on to Buzz Oven. He recommended the Two of Frown LP, and uh, you know, I bought that man, and that was. Uh, since I bought that, they've, they've been one of my favorite bands ever since. So, I mean, that, that's how I got into them, uh, was on a recommend um, from Ben. 
Had, did you get into them before Sora came out? Or no, no. I, I, um, it's a, uh, it's a, a friend of mine. This, uh, she actually listens to the show. Um, Rachel, I'm not going to say her last name out of uh, just privacy. You know, I don't want to bother her. <laughs> but uh, right, I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, she, yeah. Uh, good friend of mine. She did a zine. Uh, she released a split with Crash Worship and uh, Tribes of Nurat back in the day. And she was a neighbor of mine when I lived in Boston. And, uh, you know, our, our two groups of friends used to hang out. And um, and she was, like, into neurosis. And I, I actually found out about neurosis through her. And uh, some of the people that lived at the house were uh, – we're way into like neurosis. I hate God buzz oven. And that's how I found out about buzz oven. Cause, um, just hanging out over at that house. And, uh, right. yeah, there were these guys there, you know, typical, they look like the kind of guys that be into those bands, you know, dreads, you know, goatees, <laughs> like stuff right. like that. You know what I mean? And, uh, kind of crustier right. looking dudes. And, um, yeah, buzz oven was like, like a very, uh, like like a punker version of those bands, and in a lot of ways, totally, that, yeah, like they they were faster. They had this like punk thing going on. They were more um, well. We'll get into some of the stuff I learned from some of the interview stuff I read with Kirk, but and then when I learned more about the band, they just seemed like just fucking evil as hell, you know? Right. Well, yeah. Like a few minutes ago, too, you referenced like you know the term sludge, yeah. uh, and then now you just said like you know had definitely had a punk thing going on um yeah man i tried to like think of or you know around that time frame not exact dates just around those early years like when buzz up and was around throughout their first album and stuff i tried to look at some of the bands that existed because you know sludge and doom another term you know they go hand in hand a lot but like there wasn't really doom bands around back then with the like like aggressive vocals you know you had like saint vitus and trouble but they had like the classic kind of almost like black sabbath style vocals yeah like a hard rock kind of thing you know right but there was this little i mean you know from from all arrows point to i hate god being like the first i think band that really did that you know down in new orleans but you know if you go around the country man all around that time you had uh you know i i hate god in new orleans uh Neurosis was never really a doom band, but I still feel like they they kind of were part of that scene, you yeah. know? Yeah, uh, definitely. Out in San Francisco, yeah. And then you had 16 down in L.A. I feel like they also fit into that. Sure. And uh, Grief up in New England. Yep. Uh, there was a cavity down in Florida. You know, they were all like heavy, doomy, sludgy bands, but they all had aggressive vocals. It wasn't like classic you know, doom vocals. So, you know, but, you know, I, I guess I had God, I would say is the first, I mean, even I think some of the buzz up interview, interviews I read, Kurt would say that too. Like yeah. they might've been around a little bit before then, but definitely a punk aesthetic there, man. Like I, I think of buzz up and more as a punk band than even a doom or a sludge band, even though, you know, they're definitely fall under that umbrella, but they kind of created their own genre in a way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I mean that term sludge didn't even exist back back in then in those days, and um, you know they the thing that was common to all those bands was like you you touched on the fact that all all those bands were were essentially punk bands 
that were maybe um, leaning heavily on my on my war by Black Flag, right. like side two of my right. war, like discordant, evil, slowed down sort of hardcore punk, and then. Of course, Black Flag was heavily influ- influenced by uh, you know Sabbath, like in that era. You know, I mean, you can, you can read right. all the Rollins, you know, journal entries and how they were way into Sabbath, and you know, and even the Dio era Sabbath was a big influence on Black Flag too. And mm-hmm. I think that you have to mention that band if you're going to mention you know I Hate God and Buzz Oven and all that sort of stuff. And uh, and I think that's what why I love this original crop of bands because you know it's like you took Black Flag, My War, you took Gigi Allen, you know, you took maybe some COC in there and you just mixed it all together. And with these Southern bands, you know, there was like a very big blues thing going on too. Like all those bands loved like Skinnerd and, and country music what? and stuff too, you know? Yeah, I think it's inherent. You know, that, that shit was in their blood whether they wanted it to be or not. You know, they all acknowledge they're into that stuff too, but... Yeah, that added, and that is a common theme too. I mean, you know, some of these other bands from all around the country, but I hate God and Buzz of them both from the South, you know. Um, that you can hear that in the music for sure. Yeah. You know. So let's talk a little bit about um, Soar in specific. Um, so we got Buzz Oven, I would say more infamous as opposed to famous. Uh, yeah. Heavily into addiction, violence, depravity. Just anything uh, that is on the darker path in life, I feel like that band was all about that sort of thing. And um, the band was formed in 1990 in Salisbury, North Carolina, and the only original member throughout all these years is Kirk Fisher. And uh, essentially, this is his vision. And uh, eventually, they would move to Richmond, Virginia, uh, because it it seemed like it would be quote unquote, a little more crazy according to Kirk <laughs> in an interview in, in, in exclaim magazine. <laughs> so, so, you know, they were, so, uh, yeah, they were seeking chaos, you know, <laughs> not enough chaos down in, in the Charlotte area, you know, like, uh, playing shows in the anti scene, another like, you yeah, know, crazy infamous band. You know, like smashing bottles over each other's heads and like tearing each other's hair out on stage, and not enough going on down there, chaos wise. So let's move it up to Richmond. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I mean, they met the guys in Guar too, and apparently, you got. Let's not forget Guar was as being sort of um, a peripheral band that's kind of important to this scene because Guar was always like sort of in the background with a lot of these bands. Right. You know, Dave Brocky was like a big uh, supporter, you know, of a lot of this music. And you, you, was, you, you always hear about him in relation to a lot of these bands. You know, it's, it's kind of a got to give a nod to Guar, you know. Yeah, I was never a Guar fan, but, uh, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, what they do. I respect, uh, you know, what they do. And uh, I think they gave a lot of bands good buzz of and like a shot taking them on tour and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, I definitely appreciate their creative uh, vibe and like what they've done and, you know, the intensity that they pursued that creative vision. I can't say that I'm a massive fan of their music. Live shows are, you know, a total event. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, I I went to see them once just because I wanted to see, you know, the spectacle. 
I remember back in like the late '80s, they uh, they were I was in college in Boston, and, and they were supposed to play at the Ratskeller. And uh, wow, yeah. <laughs> and for you know, the Ratskeller is this. It's like the Boston CBGBs, basically. It's like uh, you know all the legendary bands played there throughout the '80s. You know, Metallica played there. The Police, like that, was like a big, you know, right. Very, like uh, it was a spot. It was a place. You know, now it's uh, the part of the Boston University campus, so that place doesn't exist anymore. Uh, my alma mater, Boston University, and um, so yeah, we were like hanging out. Me and my buddy Ken. We were hanging out on the roof of this building, uh, getting ready to go to the show. And it turns out that uh, the show was shut down before it even started because someone caught wind of the mayhem that would ensue at a Guar show. And they didn't want to take the the. Ra- I mean, it, the Rat was a, basically a basement. It really, playing shows at the Rat was really like playing a show at a basement, really, because it was literally a basement. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was. And it was it was shitty. I, I think it was way shittier than CDs, actually. I mean, the stage was really there wasn't a lot of room in there, man. For I'm just thinking of Guar trying trying yeah. to do their thing in there. That's nuts. I mean, maybe back then it wasn't as elaborate, but I'm sure it was still too elaborate to be happening there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was still. I, I can't even imagine back then. I mean, you know, they were fairly unknown. You know, people knew about the spectacle and, you know, you just go to the rat, that basement, which is like kind of a death trap anyway. And just dudes are like spraying blood on you and cum and it's like latex cocks and stuff. You know, it's like, you know, I can see why someone was concerned about that show. But uh, (laughs) Um, so back to sore, (laughs) we keep keep getting uh, digressed here, but uh so the Still record was an hour to get the facts about. <laughs> <laughs> so the record came out in 1994, um, came out on Roadrunner Records, which is kind of insane if you think about a band like this putting a record out on Roadrunner. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. I I mean, someone really went out on a limb. You know what I mean? Uh, it's their only release on Roadrunner. Um, just want to mention that. Of <laughs> course. <laughs> Recorded at Brilliant Studios in San Francisco, California by producer Billy Anderson and mastered by George Marino. And uh, it's another notable thing is the album cover was by this guy, Craig Lima. And the album cover was, is pretty pretty sick. I mean, it's just this tripped out, like elaborate, you know, descent into darkness and chaos, you know. Um, from all I could find a lot of info about Craig Lima. I mean, he also did the cover for the EP that preceded Soar, yeah. um, Unwilling to Explain, you know, mm-hmm. very similar artwork. And then he did a few, like, uh, stuff for a, band, a few, like, bands that just did demos. And this one band from uh, the Bay Area called El Dopa, yeah. who uh, was a cool band also in the Buzz Up in Vain, you know. Um, but I couldn't find out. It seemed like he just stopped doing art. Did, did you know of anything he did like beyond that stuff no not really you know maybe he just got disillusioned with everything and just moved on to something else i mean that happens i mean you think music's hard to make a living in try doing art you know for a living right right yeah that, that is true yeah. <laughs> that is true an important thing um, about this record is that the program length is 73 minutes and four seconds now to date you and i pretty much 
have been lo- talking about records that came out back in like the old days where everything was like 35 minutes long. And uh, right. this record was at least one of the, probably one of the first records that you and I have talked about on this show that has been formatted for modern technology. You know what I mean? For the right. digital world. This was like, this whole thing was like sculpted around coming out on CD, you know? Yep. Yep. There was a vinyl version of this, which I assume was made very limited quantities because yeah. I've never even actually seen one. And if you look it up on Discogs, it's like over a hundred dollars. Yeah. I'm curious though. I didn't, I didn't, I forgot to look. The track listing obviously has to be altered because he's not fitting 73 minutes of music on an LP. Nope. And uh, <laughs> none of that stuff's yeah. in print either. You know, I mean, you can get, mm-hmm. you can download it on, you know, like iTunes and stuff like that, but you can't, the, the physical copies of this stuff is like long out of print. And, uh, uh, another common, that's a common theme on uh, <laughs> records we seem to talk about too. Is like, there's no, you know, nothing in print. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff we talk about, it's a shame, man, you know. Um, you bring up the, like, the Roadrunner thing, it is crazy to think about Buzz of it on Roadrunner. Would you say Roadrunner was like the same tier label as Century Media was? I think or they bigger? were bigger at that time, actually. In the early 90s and 94, I mean, I feel like Century Media was huge in in, um, in Europe, but not so right, much right. in the States. And we'll, just, we'll talk about Century Media for a second, too, because uh, last year we had Jonah Jenkins on as a guest and uh only he was the vocalist in only living witness among other bands and witness was the first band that i was aware of that was on century media and they were i was like who the hell is century media you know but then later on i found you know century black like mostly the things i discovered on century media were black metal bands you know and and then you know the i hate god records things like that but they were still not very big in the states roadrunner on the other hand was like a major label really i mean they you know they had like uh you know uh, sepultura was on roadrunner typo negative um big commercial bands were on that label you know um life of agony i mean i don't i don't think life of agony was gigantic but they were you know they were going for this move to, towards the commercial end of things. I mean, there was, um, you know, Fear Factory was a Roadrunner band. Uh, you know, they were looking to be on MTV, Headbangers Ball, like that kind of vibe. And uh, Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, sure. Buzz Oven was just like a bunch of, you know, like punks, like these dudes from from the South that were just like these like chaotic, scoundrels like driving around in a van across the country you know what i mean and um right it, and somehow they ended up on on a, a huge label like that you know it's funny i mean yeah I, you're right i mean central media is probably you know a little bit smaller it's just in the u.s uh but i thought i still think it's weird like my introduction i hate god was uh in the name of suffering their first album i, I bought that on cassette uh you know, that was my introduction, and I was like, I didn't know who Central Media was. Yeah. You know, I had no idea. And then shortly after that, uh, Grief put out their their first full-length album was on Century Media. Right, yeah, that's right. You know, it's just odd to me that these, like, kind of bigger labels were putting out these these crazy 
you know, sludgy punk <laughs> bands or whatever. It's just weird. It was weird that any of them really ended up on any of those labels to me. But uh, Buzz Over Me on Roadrunner is even more bizarre. I have, I have a little bit of a theory about that because, like, it, back in the 90s, in the early 90s, Century Media's bread and butter was clearly Europe. And I, I think uh, if you could, if anyone wants to go back and listen to the Jonah Jenkins interview, that's kind of what Jonah was saying, that uh, yeah, they were gigantic in, in – um, in Europe. And my feeling is that they were trying to make inroads into the U S market, but they weren't not necessarily able to get a band like fear factory in the States. You know, there was like okay. the, the road runners, you know, the earaches were, 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 uh, kicking ass around that time, you know? Um, right. So bands like of that stature were, were on either earache or road runner, you know? So they had these like, smaller u.s bands and i mean this is all this is all conjecture i don't i haven't verified any of this stuff but it's like my my musings on the early 90s like death metal and extreme music like world and uh you know so that's why you'd end up with grief i hate god um you know buzz oven uh only living witness you know these are all bands that ended up on the, the the early u.s presence of century media and of course now you know now now Century Media is massive. I mean, they're they're just as big as any of those like Metal Blade, Century, um, you know, Nuclear Blast. Like they're one of the major like metal labels right. in the world. So, but I think at that time they were just trying to get a foothold in the states. You know, right, right. Um, yeah, my uh, <laughs> I always just mentioned a place called Sam's Method and Tapes was this place in uh, Warwick, Rhode Island. It's little hole in the wall music shop but a great place for metal and you know they had some hardcore and stuff in there too but for metal man it was the spot for metal um and that's where i bought that first i hate god record introduced the century of media but every time i would go in there man they'd have uh remember back in the day they used to do the promo cassettes oh yeah cds with mm-hmm. just a, a white cover and have the song track listing on the front yep that was how i found out sore was out like I didn't, I didn't know those guys had a new album coming out. You know, the information was processed differently back then. You know? Yeah, there was no internet, none of that shit. So, I walked in there one day and I just seen and like the little stack of promos for sale. It was like two dollars. You know, it's like Buzz Oven Soar, Roadrunner Records just had a white cover with the track list. But that's how I found out that was out. Um, so that was my first version of Buzz Oven Soar. I had was that. I didn't even have like the actual record till you know months after that. I don't know how early it was. The guy was selling it. He's probably selling it like two months before it was supposed to. <laughs> probably, yeah. man. You're not even supposed to sell those promos, you know, because they get them for free. You know, they're just like right. copies to check out and see if you want to buy them or not. You know, and this guy just like figured he'd sell it. You know. Um, yeah, he probably didn't make it too far into it. He was like, "Yeah, I'm all set with this." I, I um. I bought I bought it at Newberry Comics. It was literally the only record they had by them. And and like I said, I I found out about them by hanging out at this house uh, that my friend Rachel lived at. And it was like, this is like exactly the kind of thing I, I wanted to get into. And um, like a couple of days later, I went down to Newberry Comics and uh, on Newberry Street, and that was the only record they had. And it happened to be their new record, so I, I bought it. <laughs> Um, yeah. So let's just uh, let's go through the track listing here. We open up with "Sore," which has like this real 
sort of ambient, dark, sample-y kind of intro with some drums. And then it busts into the actual song. And it's like one of the best introductions to a record. It kind of sets up the tone for the whole record, in my opinion, you know? I totally agree. One of my favorite opening tracks on any record fucking that I own, man. Like, so I think it's two minutes and 59 seconds. Just, you know, call it, call it three minutes of like a nightmare before like guitars, bass and drums get introduced, you know? Yeah. And it's, cool. I got to say, man, Buzz Oven really knows how to start a record. I mean, that, and that's been like common throughout their entire career, really. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And we got unwilling to explain hollow done I Don't Like You, which is one of the best song titles ever. What a fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> and uh, probably one of my favorite songs on the album, Broken. Right? Yes. We got Pathetic, Should I, Behaved, Blinded, Grit, and This Is Not. And uh, that's the record. And then personnel-wise, on this record at least, we had... Uh, Kirk Fisher on vocals and guitar, Buddy Apostolis on guitar, who passed away in uh, 2002, rest in peace. Yep. Brian yep. Hill, a.k.a. Ladaryl on bass. <laughs> Ashley Williamson, a.k.a. Ash Lee on drums. And then we have uh, backing vocals by Vigil on Broken. And uh, Vigil is uh, associated with Neurosis back then. Yes. Um, yeah, Vigil did a lot of time on the road with them. Uh, I, all the times I've seen Buzz on back in, those, in the early days, you know, around the sore touring and all that stuff, he was always with them. A lot of times, you know, creating chaos. Uh, every Buzz Oven show I think I've seen was, was total chaos, man. Like, they played this small venue out in the... Uh, Northeast Connecticut that I used to work at book shows at once in a while and stuff called Studio 158. This place is out in the middle of nowhere, but uh, we do shows all the time. So, you know, people would come, oddly enough. Buzz up and played there and uh, it wasn't a great turnout. You know, it was all right, whatever. But they, right when they started to go on, like Vigil was just lighting smoke bombs, man. Like one after the other. Yeah, you could. It was like the guy who owned the venue was like trying to shut it down, and they wouldn't stop playing. Like people just going outside, they can't fucking breathe. Like it's a small, you know, it's a small venue. Uh, Yeah, it was just it was just chaos, man. And like a little bit of a fire started with one of the smoke bombs. It was just like you can count on those guys bringing the chaos. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And and you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, they back in the especially back in the early nineties. I feel like Buzz Oven was one of those bands that would literally play anywhere. I mean, because I yeah. they played at such random places, you know, like like that part uh, Studio One Fifty Six up in Connecticut. And I've yeah. never even been there, but I know of that place because uh, I've heard bands play there, you know. And and um, yeah. it was it was definitely a stop, but I never been there. I definitely know the part of Connecticut you're talking about just from driving back and forth from New York to Boston. And, um, right. you know, that, that's a random spot. And then you on, you could look online and, like, on YouTube for live sets, and they're always in these, like, towns, some of which you never <laughs> even have heard of, you know, but they're they're there playing. And um, right. Right. 
you know, back in that era, they had uh, the reputation similar to Black Flag of just being a band that was always out there on the road. You know, they were just like on the road constantly. And I think that might have contributed to the reason why a label like Roadrunner would, would sign them. You know, they were just hardworking band, you know. Right, yeah. And if you're out there doing it as much as they were, man, you're bound to develop, you know, and uh, people take notice. I mean... I think you know. I think that stand that holds true from till today. Like the bands that get out there and work are usually the bands that kind of see some fruit from the labor. You know. Yeah. Now, um, what might have uh, contributed to them being dropped from Roadrunner? <laughs> There's a story that's once again in. Uh, I found this story in Claim, <laughs> in Exclaim Magazine. Uh, you know, there, there's um, one of the one of the main things Buzz Oven is known for is their voracious appetite for drugs, hard drugs. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, hard drugs. Yeah. It, in this one interview, Kirk was talking about uh, what they had plans for when they signed to Roadrunner. They were just going to take all the money and buy a ton of smack an overdose on the steps of the label. That was like their plan. That was after getting signed. That was, uh, you can read about this in the, this uh, interview in exclaim magazine. That was like their, their plan. But instead they just went downtown and bought like a thousand bags of dope and drove back to Richmond with it. They didn't OD on the <laughs> steps of Roadrunner. So <laughs> I, I believe I read the same, uh, exclaim, uh, interview, you know, like getting ready to do this. And, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I knew about this story without reading this interview, but I think they mentioned it in that interview. Uh, I learned this later, uh, in a later incarnation of Buzz Oven, with uh, Dixie Dave Collins was playing bass with them and went on the form weed eater, played a Bonzilla. I was talking to him uh, at a show they played in Connecticut. And, uh, you know, those guys, oh, they always have fucking tons of drugs with them. And I'm like, you know, how do you guys manage to tour? We, we carry this like arsenal of drugs. Like you guys, don't you worry about like getting arrested? He's like, you know, we got a system. A system. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what's that system? You know, he's like, well, we take all our drugs and we duct tape them to the top of the van. I'm like, well, I mean, that ain't very good. I mean, any cop's going to know to, you know, look in, inside. Like he's like, no, no, no. We tape them to the outside roof of the van. Oh man! That, <laughs> Don't that, they mention it in that X-Play interview? Yeah, I, I remember reading that too. That's yeah. That's uh, <laughs> there could be some uh, problems with a system like that, you know. <laughs> I remember telling me that story, man. I was like, yeah, wow, man. When you, you know, when you're in a band and you want to take drugs, you really got to think about it. You know, like where can we put these drugs? Let's put them on the top of the van, outside on the top. <laughs> One of uh, one of the things I found interesting in doing some of the research, uh, there was an interview with Kirk, uh, where they asked him about his influences, and you know, like in the beginning of this, we started talking about what our impressions were about the band, you know, uh, and he confirmed some of that, you know, Black Flag, Sabbath, C.O.C., but I was actually a little bit surprised to learn that. Uh, he was a big Nirvana and Mudhoney fan. Like that early '90s Northwest, like hard rock stuff, was like a big influence on some of their music too. Yeah, like kind of before all that stuff broke. Yeah, uh, 
from what I understand, like the like Bleach era and uh, you know the earlier Bud Honey stuff. Yeah, that was that was interesting. I did uh, read that too, and I was a little, I, yeah, I didn't see that coming, you know. But hey, you know, I guess you know everyone likes different stuff, and I like that stuff too, you know. Yeah. I think you do too. So it was it was kind of cool to hear that actually. I, I think that I went out and listened to the record after uh, after I read that, you know, listened to Soar, and, and and I heard some stuff on there that I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely like, um, you know, there's like a groove on some of the songs, uh, because I, you know, yeah. especially on Bleach, Nirvana was uh, using that drop tuning, you know, that uh, open drop tuning, like drop D or drop C or whatever, and uh, it has like a certain the when you when you write songs in that tuning there's like a certain groove to it you know what i mean and and i can see that on some of the buzz oven stuff and even records after that um i can hear a little bit of that but uh he tells an interesting story about seeing nirvana at the milestone in charlotte and uh and that's have you ever been to that venue the milestone no i've, I've heard of it for you know forever but i, I never got the chance to go there yeah, I've, I've played there a few times over the years, and it's it's like the Southern, you know, everyone likes to say it's uh, the Southern CBGBs, the same way the Rat was like the Boston CBGBs. This is like the Southeastern CBs is uh, the milestone. And it kind of is. I mean, it's like a, you know, like a beat kind of like hole in the ground venue that uh, it's in the, you know, kind of a, yeah, like a sketchier neighborhood like one of those like southern sketchy neighborhoods where it's not like for example for example in like the 80s if you were in the lower east side there's a certain look to a neighborhood like that you know what i mean and then right. when you're in a neighborhood in a southern town that's in like an area where there's a lot of crime and sort of desolation there's a different feel and that's kind of the neighborhood that the milestones in and um that was, yeah. was that in charlotte i think yeah Charlotte, 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 North Carolina. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, everyone's played there. I mean, the Bad Brains, you know, Black Flag. There's like legendary shows there. So I guess I was reading uh, with that Kirk saw Nirvana on the Bleach Tour play at, at the Milestone. And um, reading that, it actually made me revisit some Nirvana stuff that I haven't listened to in a long time. Because I... I like. I used to like them back in the beginning, you know, like when they were, uh, you know, pre uh, Nevermind, you know, when they were right. just like another band that Sub Pop put, put records out by, and they had like a right. like a harder kind of edge to it. And um, yeah, they were they were they were a cool band, and it's funny to think that they somehow influenced a band like Buzz Oven, you know. Yeah, it, it is. It is weird. To- to think that but then again like you know me and you both like that stuff too you know yeah so, <laughs> like true uh yeah so you know the early sub pop stuff i know we both like you know uh the early sound you know sound well some sound guard yeah they had, they're on sub pop they're on sst too but yeah you know i like we like a lot of you know skin yard is oh, another yeah. band that we both like well obscure darker kind of seattle band be- around before seattle was seattle that everyone knows today you know um, so it makes sense, but yeah, it was kind of shocking to me to, to read that too, in a way. I don't know why, because we, we all like that stuff too, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, a couple episodes ago, uh, Daniel House from Skin Yard, I had, there was an interview with him that's up there, that's on the Metal Matters um, you know, catalog now. 
and uh, he had a lot of cool insights into just the whole sound and formation in the early days and the Deep Six compilation and CZ Records and the U-Men and bands like that. And like the the U-Men is a band that no one talks about these days, but they were uh, a huge influence. They were, they were one of the first bands really in the Northwest scene that toured and like went out there on the road and did stuff. And, um, Daniel actually told me that, uh, Sub Pop put out like a, a three LP collection, uh, discography yeah. of all their stuff. And I, I, I recently ordered that and it's, it's pretty sick. Like there's a download, so you can listen to the material and everything. It's pretty cool. I've had that in my hands a few times. I got, I got to pull the trigger on that. And that's not a band I'm super familiar with, but the stuff I've heard, I definitely like. And I believe they had a song on one of the dope guns and fucking in the streets compilations on AMRAP. Yeah, they do. And, and that's, that's like pretty representative of their sound, you know? And, and uh, yeah, for any of you guys out there who don't know what the fuck we're talking about, it's like there was a band called the U-Men. U, like the letter U, men. You men from the Northwest, and they were like a prototypical grunge, for lack of a better term, band that were also on uh, amphetamine. They have a song on an amphetamine reptile compilation that came out back then called Dope Guns and Fucking in the Streets. And uh, some of the members went on to do the Crows and like other bands that released records on AMREP. So. Yeah, sometimes I forget, man. I just start like going off, like everyone knows what the fuck we're talking about. You know? No, but I mean, it's good. It's good for people not to know about it and pick up on it because that's how that's this is kind of what you know. We're trying to bridge that gap, man. Like, make uh, we're in the digital age where not no there's everything's available, but no one knows what to look for, you know. And if if you're listening right. to this show and you're you're into this kind of stuff and. Uh, you know, Randy and I have been around for a while. There, there might be some bands out there, some records that we know about that you don't know about. Maybe you want to check it out, you know. So we're just making recommendations, I guess. Yeah, we're old, man. We always like to say how old we are on, the, you know, on, the, on these episodes, man. You know? Yeah, well, you know, it's, <laughs> it's common knowledge at this point, you know. Um, so how about seeing uh, Buzz Oven Live, man? Did you see them a lot? Or, like, what was the first, did you remember the first time you them? I, I only saw Buzz Oven perform once, actually, and it was way later, believe it or not. It was when uh, an, an old band of mine played with them. And uh, this is an interesting uh, side, too. Uh, it was uh, Season to Risk, Buzz Oven, and my, my old band, Anodyne, and I believe one other band played this show at the Middle East downstairs, and there was probably like 20 or 30 people down there, and it was like in a venue that holds like 600 people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, and, and I always got the sense that buzz oven really never played in front of a lot of people either. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. You know, at least maybe certain parts of the country, they, they were bigger than others, but you know. Yeah. Well, I've seen, I've seen them. I don't remember exactly. How many times. Let's say four or five times. I've seen them. Uh, the first time I've seen them, was after I had gotten that sore promo and sore had been out and they were, you know, they were, they were touring, they were doing road work for sore. This was, they were on their own. They weren't with anybody else touring. And, uh, there was a, a two day hardcore festival at the tune in down in new Haven. You remember the tune in? Yeah. Sure. Uh huh. Definitely. Yeah. 
now I can't remember all the bands, but it was uh, I know a couple bands for sure. Endpoint, uh, Split Lip, I believe that band Shift from New York. It was, oh, you know, it was that kind of that thing. kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. You know, so I you know, and I was also into some of that stuff, but at that time anyway. But I was also into Buzz Oven. I hate God, Neurosis, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was beyond stoked when I'm looking at this lineup, and I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you know, end point. You know, buzz, I'm like, fucking Buzz Oven. You know, I'm like, holy shit. So the tune-in is packed with 90s hardcore dudes, you know, with, like, X's on their hands and headbands. And, you know, they, all, they smell good, you know. And they, you know, they probably drove there in, like, a nice car. There's a lot of that, you know, in that scene at the time. So I was I was there to see Buzz Oven, man. Like some other bands played that I was in. I think Iceburn played. I wanted to see that play, you know. But I, I wanted to see Buzz Oven. Like this is it. I never seen them. Like loved them. I had to a frown. I get there, you know, walk up. Their van's parked right in front, and it's like this old Ford Econoline. You know, it's like kind of beat up, but it like had like these uh, chrome rims on it. You know, like like an old muscle car would have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you just knew, man. It was Buzz Oven's van. Like, you just knew, you know. And they got the slider open on the side, and they're sitting there. And they're, you know, they got beer, cases of beer, and they're smoking weed. And, like, everyone's just looking at them like, what? Who the fuck? You know, most people didn't even know who they were. So they went on somewhere in the middle, towards the, to later in the night, but, like, in the middle, you know. And uh, the place is packed. And it's like three, four, five, six hundred people in this place, you know. And they get up there, and people are just like, you see people just staring at them, like, what the fuck, you know? Who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> and they get set up, and they start with the samples, you know. They're blaring the samples, are blaring, and people are like covering their ears. And there's feedback, and Kurt Fisher just turns around, walks up to the mic, huge mouthful of beer, and just. It's what seems like nine gallons of beer into the crowd. And they, and they started and he's like, fuck you, straight edge pussies. <laughs> it just kicked the fucking mic stand in the crowd, dude. And it was chaos. People, people were running for the door, man. Running for the door. Except for me and like, you know, probably 10 other people were like, in our glory, you know. So that was my first time seeing them. And every other time I seen them, it was the very small crowds. Um, that was the only big crowd I ever seen them play for, and that big crowd lasted probably about thirty seconds. <laughs> Man, you know, in the '90s, there's like such an incredible lack of heart with a lot of those, a lot of those kids. You know, a lot of those bands, a lot of those. Um, I kind of, I'm, a, I'm a kind of like talk about this a little bit on the integrity episode I did with Ralph and. Uh, I'm actually writing this piece for uh, for Holy Mountain for this magazine that Danny's putting out about about integrity, and I talk a lot about the '90s and my complete disdain for hardcore music during that era and the lack of heart and the the kind of closed-mindedness of the people and just. It was, you know, punk and hardcore is supposed to be about having an open mind and being a free thinker, but it was one of the most regimented, regressive music scenes, I think, ever between 1990 and 2000. You know what I mean? 
But dude, I totally agree. And like, like I said, I was into some of that stuff, you know, but that's what inevitably drew me more away from that stuff was it was so homogenized and people's lack to like check out anything that was different than that formula. Yeah. Uh, or the, any bands that weren't on like these two or three labels or didn't look exactly how they wanted that, you know, like yeah. I, I, the, Real early on in that, I was like, "Well, this is fucking everything that this is not supposed to be about, man." Like, I don't know. I, I like, you know, I like Neurosis and I Hate God, but I also like some of these bands. Like, and it was, you know, it was like, "Oh, you like that?" You know, I'm like, "Yeah, man." I, you know, I'm into this to fucking try to find. I'm always searching for new shit to like. You know, and yeah, I totally agree with that sentiment, man. I was there, I lived it, and I can attest that that was a fact. <laughs> That's how it was. A lot of it. Yeah, man, and and along those lines of thinking, I think you know the you. Can, I mean, whatever, man. It's like I, I'm not particular. Those bands aren't really my cup of tea, but you know, if you're out there and you like that kind of stuff, that's great, you know. But if you want to listen to a band and a particular record, if you if you have plans to rob a Seven Eleven one night, right? You're like, man, I'm hard on my luck. I got thrown out of my house. My girlfriend broke up with me. I lost my job. I have to rob. I got to go rob this 7-Eleven, man. I need to get some money. I just started uh, doing drugs, you know. <laughs> Sore. The song, like that that intro into the, the, the heavy guitars, that's like the song you have playing on the radio when you drive up and like you and your, your crime buddy, you know. You're like getting stoked well, to, to bust into the Seven Eleven with like a shotgun. That's exactly the music you listen to. When the fucking guitars kick in, you just kick the front of the Seven Eleven door in. You pull the fucking gun out. And you're like, give me the fucking money, you know. And then you run, <laughs> you run out, and then you just bail. That's that's what this record makes me think about. Is like robbing Seven Elevens like at like midnight somewhere on a Tuesday, you know. It makes absolute sense to me, and it's funny you brought that up because, you know, I know sometimes sometimes you do a little moonlighting on other podcasts. You know, you have a couple other things you do. Yeah. And I may I may have been listening to an episode where you and a good friend of ours, Jeff Capside. Yeah. This record came up. Oh yeah. And I okay. believe your quote was, "Sore is the soundtrack to holding up a convenience store." Yeah, and and <laughs> like I, you know, see, hey. You can say a lot of things about me, but one of the things you definitely could say about me is at least I'm consistent, man. Like I, you know, I have the same thoughts over and over again all the time. So that's my assessment of the record, man. Is that uh, it's a good record to go out and do crimes to, you know? <laughs> I feel like uh, the band yeah, like would that, approve that, of that. That quote really summed it up. Yeah, like, that quote, like that, really hits it. It's home, you know. Like I was like, yeah, man, that's. That's exactly what that record is, you know? It's exactly what it is. <laughs> Apparently, there was talks. Because I'm sure when they signed to um, to Roadrunner, there was, uh, you know, usually it's like, all right, we're going to put out a record by you, and then we have options. That's the way uh, the man likes to put it. We have options on other records. Meaning, like... Yeah, very familiar. Yeah, you know, they're not... They're not we're like, we... we yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put it out, maybe, if we feel like it, you know? So right. there was a demo made after Soar 
that uh, they they put together, uh, and the record never got released, or the demos never really got actualized as a full length that was to come out on Roadrunner. But this this uh, recording session came out in 2010 um, on a record called Violence from the Vault, and uh, they were like post sword demos for a uh, Roadrunner follow up, which was never to see the light of day. Right. I think originally those were called the pain time grit demos. Yeah. But that may have been just a name that someone put on there when they were fooling around as like, you know, someone gives you a tape of it or maybe it shows up on, I don't know if anyone out there remembers soul seek. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> you know, yep, totally. File sharing. It used to pop up on there as the pain time grit demos. And then yeah, eventually what relapse released it as the violence from the vault. Which I got to be honest, man. I'm a huge fan of Buzz Oven. I love everything they've ever done, but I don't like that. I it's it's borderline unlistenable to me. Yeah, it's um not their best material, but uh, I mean it's got a vibe. I think like I'm not gonna. Yeah, it's I don't. I, I've listened to it maybe three times in my entire life. You know what I mean? And uh, not nearly the same impact that Sore had. And maybe a lot of it has to do with the uh, recording too. You know. Yeah, I like the you know the the records uh, after Soar, the full length at a lost. I like uh, at a lost. I like that um, Revelation Sick again, which was you know recorded and then kind of floated around uh, with lawsuits hanging over it and all this other stuff, but eventually picked up by Hydrahead Records and released. Um, I think that was their last full length. I like all that stuff, but for some reason that violence in the vault thing, man, it's it's I don't know, never really resonated with me, but. Yeah, that's yeah. just me. Yeah, you know, it's it happens sometimes. You know, so, some live. We were talking. We we're talking about the band live, and um, that one. The one time I saw them, and I'm I'm really kind of embarrassed to say that I only saw them the one time we played with them. And uh, for anyone out there that's a fan of of uh, Cave In, Dave Scrod had a brief tenure playing second guitar in that band, and. Uh, if anyone remembers, Dave was a the, the the vocalist, like the the mic stand guy, the guy who just who essentially Kevin had like a front man for a period of time. Not the original singer. That guy joined Ten Yard Fight uh, in lieu of Kevin, um, but they had a, an interim guy between the, their original singer and then the period that most people probably know Kaven as the Steve Brodsky uh, fronted band. And this Dave Scrod guy was in Buzz Oven briefly. So. Yeah. I've seen Kaven a few times with Dave and uh, I believe Dave had in his possession at one time, uh, whether he still does, I hope he doesn't, but there was a show, a Buzz Oven show down in Connecticut at the LNG club in New London. <laughs> Which was just uh, you know one of those places, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> it, it was nobody there. You know, there's maybe thirty people there or something like that. Now the Dave was there. He was not in Buzz Oven at the time. He was just there, I believe, as a fan hanging out. He may have known those guys, but you know, we, uh, Buzz Oven had just played the night before with ISIS, and I believe it was maybe ISIS's third show or something like that. Right. And the band I was in at the time, Cable, had just released our album gutter queen our second album 
Buzz Oven stayed with uh, the ISIS guys at the Hydrahead House up in Boston, and uh, they played them the Cable Gutter Queen album. And there's a song on there called Clinton Street Blues, um, which those guys like apparently loved. So I introduced myself to them the next day, and like Dixie especially was just like going on like singing. He's like, oh, I love that song, man. I love that song. So we started hanging out with those guys, drinking and drinking and drinking. I couldn't even stand up by the time they went on. I don't know how they were standing up. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, you know, they, they, they went into it and it was, it was crazy. And it was good. And then like somehow me and Dave Scrod ended up on stage singing. We sang broken with them. And we also, they played number of the beast by Maiden. Wow. That's awesome, man. And we were, we were on stage <laughs> singing that. And, uh, you know, and I was, you know, having a good time. And, uh, my jeans that I was wearing ripped and apparently someone was snapping photos, you know, and my fucking junk is like hanging out. <laughs> That's awesome. <man. laughs> yeah. But, you know, I get the mic and I'm all like trying to be cool. Like fucking <laughs> I'm singing with buzz up and this is awesome. And then like a couple weeks later, someone shows up, like I had moved to Boston someone, <laughs> Dave and his buddy like show up at the house and like, they get these pictures. Like, dude, look, look at this. I'm like, <laughs> fucking junk's hanging out. I don't know whatever happened to those pictures. I certainly hope they're destroyed. But that was not one of my finer moments. But but a good buzz-up in story, nonetheless, you know? So if anyone out there listening has those photos, please send them uh, to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, please post them on Facebook. It'd be great. Oh, speaking of sending things to people... Um, I started checking the Metal Matters uh, email address <laughs> after like two years or whatever. So um, I have act. They gave me access to the Metal Matters email address. So if anyone wants to contact the show about anything, uh, you can hit us up at Metal Matters at Gmail. Um, metal Matters at GimmeRadio.com. And, uh, you know, people have written in. And I'm apologizing to anyone who has taken me uh, a year to write them back, but I will respond. So <laughs> I'm checking it um, every couple of days. So if anyone wants to get at us with anything, you can hit us there or on our various Facebook pages. But if you want to keep it official, you can hit us at the Gimme Radio uh, email address. I just wanted to throw yeah, we'll that get back in there. Yeah, in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should expect an email around 2023. Something like that. Yeah. So yeah, we're pretty good on the socials. With you know, people people seem to communicate with us pretty good on that. So, yeah, yeah. You know. and, and once again, shout out to our buddy Steve, uh, friend of the show. Um, you know, for for just for being enthusiastic, man. I appreciate it, and uh, looking forward to uh, your comments on everything, man. So I'm ex- I'm excited. So anyway, shout out to Steve. Yeah. What's up, Steve? All right, man. So, any closing thoughts on this record? I think I, I provided a pretty good summary of my feelings about this record. So, yeah, man. I mean, you know, once again, uh, almost pretty much every record we tackle is very important to me. Uh, this one's really up there for me, too, man. You know, uh, I absolutely love this record. It means so much to me. I still love it to this day. I listen to it three times this week, and uh, <laughs> you know, I'll probably listen to it again tonight. It's an extremely important record. I wish things would have broke differently for, for them. But uh, anyone who's into heavy, dark music who might be a little younger than us that doesn't know Buzz Oven, check out Soar. Um, 
And just one more thing for you, Mike. I just don't like your face. <laughs> a lot of, you're not the first person who said something like that to me, believe it or not. <laughs> which is one of the great samples from Saw, which we didn't even get into all the awesome samples on the Buzz Oven Store record. Um, but, you know, they were masters at using the sample. That's probably something we should have covered a little more, I guess. But. Yeah, and they're like one of the earlier bands to kind of adopt that. You know what I mean? It was like... Uh, you know, I mean, there is not not like the first bands to use samples, but as far as like metal, punk, hardcore type bands, um, you know, the Swans use samples and everything and, you know, fetus right. and industrial music. But like as far as I would say like Neurosis and, and Buzz Oven were kind of the, the entry point to that kind of usage of that sort of resources and this type of music, you know. Yeah, and like you said, they were like the masters of the opening track, you know, and you can hear the samples from the second the record starts, and like, it just flows, man. Like, it's all, it all kind of works as, as a, it really works as an album, because the samples just tie everything together, and they're kind of like masters at where they play stuff, and like, I don't know, you know, they, so many samples on this record, everything from Hellraiser 2 to uh, Wise Blood, you know, there's like, Great samples. All their records are loaded with great samples. Sore in particular, it's like a masterpiece how everything just interconnects together with the samples, you know? Hell yeah. So, uh, everyone be well, and we'll catch you next time. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care. Who you are, black man, accurate man.